I don't want to put you on blast in front of our thousands of followers, but but you're gonna. Yeah, I, I got bills and stuff for the equipment and whatnot. Mm-hmm. You uh, did you get that check from Bourbon to where you can you know slide me some cash? See, in my business, the important thing to remember is never take a check. That's been a rule since day one. Never take a check. But they're good for it, bro. You know they're good for it. I've I've taken two checks. Besides uh, WWE and AEW checks, those ones I'll take. But I've taken two checks in my life. Both of them bounced sky high. And I knew they would when I got them. You really got two bounce checks? Oh, yeah. One back in 06 from a guy named Mark A. Goals. And then the other one I can't recall the show. And I didn't want to take the check because I knew they were going to bounce sky high. Because there was no one in the crowd on either of these shows. And the guys had ridiculous amounts of payout. The only thing... I thought is, which another vet told me is, hey, just be the first person to cash that sucker and hopefully you get lucky. But no, both of them bounce sky high. When a check bounces, do you get to retain it and try it again? Or does the bank like confiscate it? No, no. The bank takes that money right out of your account. If you cashed it, if you deposit it, they just go and take the money out. No, no. I mean like you as a recipient, could you walk into Chase and be like, hey, pay this to cash and like uh there's insufficient funds you're like all right give it back i'll try again you know friday when i know this guy gets paid i don't know i don't know if it works that way it'd be cool if it did i'd love it if it did i kept a copy of the bounce check from mark a goals in 06 until at least 2012 i kept it and i'm i'll say his name out loud mark a goals funny enough when i was doing research for this podcast a few days ago I went ahead and decided I'm going to Google search this guy's name to see if anything else pops up. There are one or two blog sites dedicated to only the shady stuff this guy's done since then. So he runs a pretty big show. This guy only ran one wrestling event, but he ripped off everybody. But apparently he's ran a bunch of other types of events in the last 10 years in Indiana, Illinois, California, and there was some other state. How can you market yourself as a promoter, A, and then B, how could you do that more than once and people don't know? I guess since it's different events, like he screwed over people at a wrestling show in Indy. So there's no way he's going to be able to run another wrestling show in Indy without people knowing, but he could probably go to a different state into a wrestling show. But then after that, he would be burned from wrestling. But how do you give that reference? Like, oh yeah, no, pack the house in Indy. Like, here's the show. And people just know that it was a well-attended show and they maybe don't know that everybody got stiffed. Or how do you like, how do you vet a promoter? With low-level shows, it's sometimes hard to tell. And most people just believe, and especially if you're booking not so great workers, even smart workers will take what they think is a big guaranteed payday sometimes without doing due diligence. And sometimes people are just like, oh, I'll give them the benefit of the doubt. And that makes you an idiot. What if you start putting the promoter on your poster? So then people know. Like who the promoter is? Yeah. That'd be great because then if you burn somebody, everyone would let you know. Because if you shared that to Facebook, by the way, back when I got stiff on this show, I don't know if I had, I didn't have Facebook. Facebook must have been brand new and only for colleges when it was good. And then, but if you had the promoter on a show now and it got shared on Facebook that somebody would comment, this guy screwed over 10 wrestlers and then no one would work for him. That'd be great. WRW 25, a Jake Oman joint, just on there. Everyone knows that Oman was the promoter. So if you didn't get paid, word is out. Everyone knows who the promoter was. I would was. love that. There's multiple people. I would love to see like a this guy production and I would share it every time saying he's a known thief, FYI. There's one of those that runs shows right around the corner from my house that's that guy. 
be an innovator. Start putting that on there. Just Jake Oman joint. Or maybe you need a producer name. Yeah, I need, I need a different name. Because <laughs> I don't want people to know it's my show. <laughs> Why does this guy keep getting the belt? Oh, it's his show. <laughs> yeah, if, if Jake Oman's in the main event of a Jake Oman joint, people aren't going to think I'm going to lose. I think it's funnier that way too. Though. It would be kind of funny to do it for a while. Because then when I lose, people will flip. Because they'd be like, oh my God, I can't believe he booked himself to lose his own joint. I didn't know it was going to happen, bro. All right. Best man won. Yeah, I, I wish that could happen. But apparently Mark A. Goals has fleeced people all over the United States, even doing weird Facebook marketplace scams. That was another one. Craigslist and Facebook marketplace scams. That's awesome. List all the stuff from your show, like rent a ring from Merle and then list it on Facebook marketplace and sell it out from under him. In addition to just burn every bridge you possibly can. Don't pay the talent, sell the equipment off. And yeah. be like, I don't Why have not? any money, man. Well, and that, that's what a lot of people would do too. They would, they actually, I've heard of one or two people trying to keep a ring they rented or packing up someone else's equipment that happens sometimes. People try to pack up someone else's sound equipment. Yep. Totally common. That's pretty funny. Also, I've also been to shows where the promoter didn't have money to pay anyone. So the boys just started taking stuff from the building. I have seen the boys take speakers and stuff like that from promoters that don't pay. And honestly, I don't disagree with that. And if you know, it's theirs, I guess. Yeah. If you know, it's theirs, you know, I don't, I don't think it's cool to steal it from a venue. That's right. not, that's not their fault. They probably didn't get their money either. <laughs> yeah. You hire a DJ who not only didn't get paid, he walks out and he's like, where's all my stuff? Yeah, he's got nothing. <laughs> and multiple times I know I've been at shows where the promoter has told the venue that someone stole all of the money just so they didn't have to pay. If I, if I hear the venue, I don't know what you do about that. In theory, you should be able to call the police. They show up and something gets done about it. But what can you do? Well, and a lot of that gets to be a civil matter to breach a contract and those kinds of things. So yeah, depending on the amount of money, maybe it's worthwhile to do small claims or whatever else. I mean, I feel like that they, all these guys know they can get away with it because people aren't going to take them to court over 500 bucks. Right. Because you lose more than that trying to take the person to court, right? Yeah, the time you have to invest getting prepped for that and then taking off work to show up. Mm -hmm. It's a big hassle. There's a promoter that's promoted shows in Indiana and Kentucky and Illinois for the last 25, 30 years. He does it all the time. And he still does. And people still use him and still book him and like still trust him. And honestly, this promoter's never done anything wrong to me, so I actually like the guy. However... I have heard a million stories about him doing all this stuff to other people in other venues. Isn't that the worst though? In that like people are going to keep doing it until they get caught, but the effort to call someone out and to make it stick, the consequences and everything else. And then there are a handful of people who get taken care of. Mm -hmm. So usually those are the people with the loudest voice. Yeah. So it's like, For sure. eh, doesn't really affect me. So I don't care. But also, you can't be responsible for everyone else's money either and the decisions they make. So I don't know why you would stick your neck out too far for just people you may not even know. Either. Mm -hmm. I also feel a little bad for the people that do the calling out. It takes guts to call people out, right? Sometimes the people that call out the shady promoters are the ones that get heat. And that always bothers me. It happens every now and then where someone will say, Hey, just a heads up. This guy didn't pay me. And then the promoter will come out and make up some blatant lie like, oh, this person showed up late or showed up drunk or they were hard to work with. And they'll make, make up a lie to try and counterbalance it. But now that there's negativity thrown out about the other human being, it hurts their reputation. 
even if I show up high and I just have a poor match, I still delivered what I promised I would, though. I'd show up and perform. Like, does that mean that you don't have to pay me if I just don't do a great job? And that, I don't know. See, I still feel like it's like, well, now I have to pay you. Because I did book a guy, I booked wonders of people that have showed up drunk before and went out and had not great matches. Well, I just didn't use them anymore. Yeah. I paid them to do my job as a promoter. They didn't do their job as a performer, though. So I'm not going to use them ever again. To me, that seems right. So, you it know, seemed fair. Yeah, you're out money and it's a crap product, so it hurts you, but I'm just never going to book you again. Mm-hmm. Yep. Your shows can only get better as you weed out talent who doesn't doesn't care enough to show up and get the job done. Oh, for sure. And actually, I, I was having this conversation with two of my students yesterday where I only use good people who are also talented wrestlers, so I usually don't have to worry about too much of that. Now, the last few, few times I have run shows, though, I've had some friends show up wrestlers and do little unprofessional things and now i might not use them again but they weren't egregious errors it was just little things like i don't like when people leave early like, is this respectful leave early so like i might not use the guys again who left early especially if they didn't live that far away like that's just kind of disrespectful but hey i'm not gonna be actively upset with you about it that's just not what i want in my show well and you're on the record too talking about some guys you just have to work with hey man i really want to be on your show but i accepted another one have a conversation with you up front versus hey day of yeah i have my match can i go ahead and get my check and get out of here yeah and a good promoters heads up to this is just behind the curtain good promoters will pay the talent ahead of time they'll pay the talent before the show and the talent loves it because now you don't have to worry about getting stiffed at the end of the night which is a very real thing in our business so i always heard be professional number one put the pay in an envelope and give them the envelope when they get there so I've always done that. So obviously they don't have uh, to them. I guess maybe the incentive to stick around at certain shows is you get paid after. And that's why a lot of dudes pay after some guys only pay after the ring is torn down. Then again, shady promoters will use that as the excuse to bail before the ring is torn down. I always think that's a fun thing when I'm at your show and the, the talent tears down the ring, but there's always fans that want to jump in there too and help mm-hmm. out. Because it's such a cool thing to them, but for people who do it, it's like such a chore and yeah. they hate it. So they try and get out. Like the magic starts to fade as you're you're in the business more mm-hmm. and more. And you're just like, man, I don't want to do that. Also, sometimes the fans trying to carry stuff out gets scary because they don't know what they're doing. Last show I ran, there's a guy. I really want to say who it is. I can't though. There's a guy, though, who likes being around wrestling shows. He jumped up and he grabbed one of the cross beams. These are 18-foot-long poles. And he grabbed it and he was all off balance. I'm pretty sure he was messed up, too, like a drunk or a little high or whatever. And he started walking toward the front door. The entire front door and the... So there's a garage doors at the front of the phone warehouse and there's double doors. It's all glass. So, like, he is barreling toward the front where there's all this glass. I, I yelled real quick. I was like, Hey, hey, someone take that from him. Stop him. Cause that's all you need is somebody to hit the wall, break glass or do something and screw us over with the venue, especially a fan. At least he didn't grab the, uh, one of the corner posts and just throw that over his shoulder. Dude, I've seen fans. I've seen workers also, but I've seen fans try and pick up stuff and just drop it. You better hope that doesn't hurt the floor wherever you are. That is funny too. When workers pick it up and they're walking around with it, 
there's a difference between a worker and you. Difference, mm-hmm. well, or even me. I, I've got in there, I've picked up some of that stuff too, but thinking, oh, wow, that's pretty heavy. How did, you know, how did Sage pick that up? Well, Sage works out, he's in the gym a lot, yeah. and even though he's small stature, he's a pretty strong guy. Mm-hmm. But yeah, just some random fan walking in there trying to pick it up is like, you're just going to hurt yourself. Yep. Yeah, they don't know how to lift, and then you don't know how to walk with it. The worst thing about wrestling rings and wrestling equipment is it's awkward. It's like trying to move a couch. It's not the weight that kills you. It's the awkwardness and the 18 foot in length. I want to convince somebody to just go in and start spotting Russ. It's like, yeah, can you help him out with that? Just real quick. Hey, hey don't let him take that alone. Right. Don't take, go give him a hand. Give him a hand. It's a lot. It's a lot. Yeah. So yeah, for anyone who hasn't, I realize this is uh, part two of the Shady Promoter series. Part one of the Shady Promoter series was very well reviewed, Pete. You think because people just like to hear dirt or enough other workers listening like, yeah, yeah, that sucks. It happens all the time. It's probably a little bit of both because one or two workers told me they loved it. One or two behind the scenes guys told me they loved it. But then some people have nothing to do with wrestling told me they thought it was funny. So I, I don't know. I would love to know if other people that listen to this have their version of shady promoter stories because we've all had bad bosses. Oh gosh. Yeah. We've all had bosses do shady stuff. I feel like in wrestling, it's worse of it though. You know, like you're not going to show up to your nine to five and at the end of the week, more than likely anyway, you're not going to get stiffed. Like your boss isn't going to say, Hey, you know what? I'm going to be honest. We just don't have the money to pay you. That would be really exceptional. Like the business shuts down at your last name, but what? I worked the whole shift. <laughs> you closing the doors? Yeah, actually, sorry, man. We just we don't have the money to pay you, but I'll get you later. I, I tell you what, though, grab a burger, grab some fries. I mean, you got to make them yourself, but you know, go ahead and take your shift meal. But I'm closing down the McDonald's hey, man, forever. Well, I, listen, there's not much in the McDonald's account right now, but I'll PayPal you from my personal account later. Then I'm taking stuff from the McDonald's. <laughs> yeah, steal stuff from the McDonald's. Right. Go take a fryer. Go take something that's worth your while, right? <laughs> Not a cash register. Right. I took all these cups. <laughs> you know what these are worth? Yeah, tons of napkins. It'll save you 20 bucks in the long run. Absolutely. So, you know, and I'll, honestly, um, we didn't tell this last time. So obviously I have a ton of shady promoter stories. But Pete, you have witnessed a shady promoter story. So you actually get to tell a shady promoter story as well. And I get to listen. How deep can I go though? You can go as deep as you want, but let's not say the promoter's name, the location too far. You know what? Go for it. Yeah. Go for the location. Cause there's multiple people sometimes run that city. Where was that? Oh yeah. The old Fort Wayne. We were filming a little, little behind the scenes documentary style video. So I was, I got access behind the curtain. That was your big Carlito night. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But how many folks were on that show? Well, there were eight or ten matches on what they call the regular card. And then there were four or five matches in the afternoon, which the promoter totally conned other promotions into paying for. Well, and you had the Brooklyn Brawler was there. Rhino was there. Carlito was there. Shockwave was there. Mm-hmm. There were some names. And then, yeah, there were guys guys it's having matches. It's the only time Shockwave the Robot has ever been included with all of those names so he's a regional name isn't you're gonna he? make him feel very good but yeah it's the end of the show i think you you already got your check didn't you i don't recall i don't recall when this happened well i know that carlito and rhino and the brawler those folks had already gotten paid so it was the rest of the guys lined up and 
it was an order of biggest to smallest, I swear, because I think some of the bigger guys were, were experienced in the business. Mm-hmm. But old, uh, which name should I use? Old Scotty. That's he, good. He was up there next talking to the promoter. I was like, oh, oh, yeah, man. And he's like patting himself down a little bit. And he's like, yeah, I only have uh, I only have a couple bucks on me still, and some of these guys need cash. So um, is it okay if I hit you later? So he's like, no, you, we can go ahead and settle up now. Well, I, I just don't have any cash, man. He's like, all right. You can Venmo me. Oh, great. Great, Scotty. Yeah, yeah. I'll Venmo you later. No, you can Venmo me right now. Go ahead and pull out your phone. Uh, man, you got a line and everything behind you? No, man. Go ahead and pull out your phone. I'll wait. They can wait, too. And Scotty turned and looked behind him. Not a single other worker said anything. Mm-hmm. Scotty just turned back around, stared him down. Go ahead and grab your phone, man. So the guy pulled out his phone and Ven- Venmoed him. He's like, all right, you should be good. Like, Hang on. <laughs> Scotty pulled out his phone. Yeah, man, we're good. Patted him on the shoulder a few times <laughs> and then walked off. See? I love everything about this story. And the funny thing was, I'm willing to bet that everybody behind Scotty in line, they knew what was about to happen to them. They were about to get stiffed. They're about to not say a word. They're about to go home pissed about it. But Scotty did what they couldn't bring themselves to do. And they probably envied him so much and looked up to him so much in that moment. And the worst part about that is um, the ring announcer, nice guy, bigger guy. Yep. I always forget his name, mm-hmm. but he, loyal listener. He did great, he dude. Did some announcing, and he he's always enthusiastic. He tries real. Hard. I think he does a good job with fan yeah. interaction. A lot of things for like, sure. The dude earned himself a payday. Yep, for sure. But uh, he comes through the locker room. He's just he goes from pissed to really just kind of upset. And I'm like, man. He's like, yeah, he didn't pay me. And then the second sentence is what really got to me. No one ever does. You know, they pay the talent, and then I was like, oh, dang, bro, why do you keep showing up Mm -hmm. then? It's like he... It's for love of the game. (laughs) And that's what what a lot of wrestlers will do, too, is they show up to shows because they love wrestling, and they want to wrestle so bad, and especially when it's a bigger show, which that's a bigger show. There's a lot of people around. There's a bunch of names. In theory, being on that show increases your value, too. So a lot of guys are just like, ah, well, shoot, I guess more people saw me, and they justify it. But that's a legitimate reasons because i've done the same thing we've all been there we've all done it it's definitely just for love of the game but it's it's bs you have to worry about it exposure can only take you so far same thing with any medium on social media or whatever oh yeah grab some photos for me you know be good exposure for you what sure it is you're exactly right Mm -hmm. more eyeballs on you is great and sometimes you make that trade other times like nah man you can go ahead and venmo me right now and that's the thing Guys eventually reach a breaking point, which Scotty reaches his breaking point. Russ did. I did. A bunch of people like Dylan, we all reach our breaking point at some point where it's like, you know what? I don't care if I ever work this city again. Pay me what you told me you were going to pay me. Be a man. Be a man of your word. And that's the thing we've all said to promoters before. Hey, I expect you to be a man of your word. And sometimes that cuts deep and people are like, oh, okay. Now, that particular promoter, I wish I could have seen the look on his face. I know the look on his face. I've seen it before. <laughs> this is this is the first. This is not the first time this has happened. I've known the guy for a while. So, but yeah, I would have loved to have seen it. And I love how Scotty made sure he knew there was a line behind him, so the promoter was pressured, 
and the world was closing in on him in that little office room. And he was just like, all right, well, I guess I have to do it. But man, he tried. He tried to get out of paying him. I just really enjoyed the turnaround. Now nah, they're fine. Turns, looks, nobody says a word. Mm-hmm. Not one word. Yep. Yeah, no one's going to say anything to Scotty because they know they're getting stiff next. And they're probably not getting their Venmo. Well, and what's hilarious, too, he had like 40 or 60 bucks in his hand. He's like, yeah, I'm getting a little short on cash. So, you know, I'll Venmo you. How far is that $60 going to get you with this line of like mm-hmm. eight or 10 people behind Scotty? Yep. <laughs> not going to get you anywhere. Makes me think of another thing to do at the end of a show. You know how I said I knew the check was going to bounce, so I needed to get to the bank before everyone else? Same thing applies to after a show. If you have a feeling, which it's pretty inst- you know instinctual have to have the feeling of, I don't think anyone's getting paid. You do what you can to get to the pay window first. Like you do what you can to get to the promoter first. You run to him immediately if he's at the table with cat, like the the merch table or the cash table. You get to that office, whatever it takes, get in line first. Because that it legit works that way. The first people are the ones that are more likely to get paid. Because the promoter will be like, Oh, well, okay, how much was it? And then he'll still try and count them out and they'll be like, Nope, it's this much. But they don't have to put on the pressure like Scotty did, because there's still a handful of cash, even though the guy knows he doesn't have enough to pay everyone. I think that's what I'm going to do. If I ever promote a show, come on, man. You sold a few t-shirts at your merch table. Work square. <laughs> yeah. You wouldn't have sold those t-shirts without me. In fact, give me 10% of your shirt sales. I was like, you know what? Uh, hey, uh, it's going to be on Fight TV later. And as long as we get a couple hundred views, I can get you like another 20 down the road. I want to see when that pays off to where somebody says, I can't get you any money up front. I tell you what, I'll give you 2% of all of our, you know, all of our merch sales or something like that. And then it benefits you. It's like, yeah, I walked out with five grand. This moron did a lot better than he thought he was going to. Yeah, see, that'd be funny. Now, in history, that's happened to a few famous professional wrestlers. Really? A, a few very famous professional wrestlers have taken low guarantees for a percentage of gates or percentage of houses or pay-per-view buys and then made a killing, which great for them. And then the promoter isn't super. I mean, the promoter's probably a little frustrated, but they're not super frustrated because if they made 20 times more than they thought they were going to make, then, you know, they're going to suck it up. The terrible thing about that is even if we go back to the McDonald's, like you as a performer, if you're betting on yourself or you, if you show up to work, maybe you made the best hamburgers you've ever made in your life. But if nobody walked through that door, it doesn't matter. So it's not even on you. It's like, mm-hmm. Yeah, man. You know what? I'll take that percentage. I'm going to go in. I'm going to have the match of my life. Yeah. But it doesn't get in front of eyeballs. Doesn't mean you didn't have the match yep. of your life. Nope. This is a lot of the best matches I've ever had. I have never seen the light of day. I would say that if I were you too. Yeah, you should. It's the right thing to say if you've <laughs> never had a good match. I'm like, yeah, man, the best matches I've had were buried in a Japanese film and whatever. I'm going to lie about the greatness that was our match. You know, a couple people saw it. Kind of a kind of an underground thing, but. Yeah, we could have been on the best of backyard wrestling VHSs. Many DV tapes, something. There were, there were multiple best of backyard wrestling VHSs. I had them all. I just rewatched one the other day. I watched the DVD version of it, though. You paid to put it on DVD? No, no, no. I later bought from Best Buy the DVD version because for a minute they had a distribution thing through Best Buy. Dope. Yeah, it was pretty dope. It was called just the Best of Backyard Wrestling. It was a great video. You should make a, a highlight reel from all your BWE stuff. I, I'm willing to bet it's at my parents in a specific closet. The one where Dom gets put through a table, nearly paralyzed should make the real it's out there somewhere 
I even remember the old BWE website. It was bwrestling.tripod.com. Yep. That's not still up. I looked like five years ago. It's off. Look for matches to start showing up on Jake After Dark. Yeah, jakeafterdark.com, people. It's live. All right. So and uh, I have a whole list of shady promoter stories here, Pete, but we'll finish with one more. From It's about the same promoter. Same guy? The same promoter that paid Scotty Young begrudgingly, right? The year was probably 05 or 06. I wonder if I should say the legend's name. Because he's passed and everyone loved him. He was the main event of WrestleMania 1. He was one of the four guys. In the Hulk main Hogan event. died? Hulk Hogan is alive. Okay. Actually, two of the four are dead, I think. Two of the, I think two of the four are dead. I don't know who all was in it. And I don't want to say all the names and give it away. One of them trained my trainer. One of them trained Jimmy Yang. But there wasn't this one. Shark Boy was in the first WrestleMania? Shark Boy may have been the first WrestleMania. So uh, at this show, it was like, oh, I think it was 05 or 06. I wasn't there this week. Someone had to tell me this later. I used to wrestle this place pretty often. This famous individual was brought in for a show. Now, keep in mind, this promoter has fleeced hundreds of people throughout the years. So that's why I find this story funny. The guy shows up. He was supposed to do, I think he did it. He showed up early. I think he did a signing and pictures before the show. And then later on the show, he was going to like ref the main event or do something else on the show. I could be incorrect, but he was appearing before the show. And then at the end of the show, so he appears before the show or whatever, says some hellos or whatever. I think he did autographs. Then he goes back to the back and he's hanging out and he's talking to somebody. He's like, Hey, uh, we got a lot of time. I'm going to, I'm going to run up to the circle K and uh, grab a Slurpee or whatever he said, something like that. I just remember, Hey, I'm going to run up to the circle K. Cause that was a few blocks down the road. People are like, Oh, okay, cool. And then, you know, 20, 30 minutes go by and people are like, Hey, where's such and such. Like, I don't know. He said he was going to the circle. K. Like, okay. Another 20 or 30 minutes go by. Know him. Another 20 or 30 minutes go by. He just left. He straight up just left. He bounced out of town. I think he might've went to a different show or autograph signing in Indianapolis that night. One, he wasn't going to have to be at for a while, but yeah, he just left and he showed up, got his payday, did a couple little things and then just bailed. And you know what? That was karma. That was what goes around comes around. I bet he didn't feel bad about a single bit of it. No, I'm sure he didn't. Dude, some name guys do this stuff decently often. They'll show up, they'll do a little bit, they'll get their pay and they'll bail or they'll do the minimum. That actually is the argument for not paying the boys before the show. Because some wrestlers would take their money and leave. I think that's why you start putting your name on the flyer. Oh yeah, I've worked an Omen joint before. No, he takes good care of us. Now, yeah, if you take good care of the boys, that word does spread. And then people do want to work for you. A lot of people do want to work for me because I take care of the boys. You know, if and this is probably something I shouldn't admit to or shouldn't say. It's probably something I shouldn't do, honestly, for my bottom line. If my show does well financially, I will take more money and give more money to the boys at the end of the show. The guys who travel the furthest are the guys who I know are incurring the most uh, financial loss to come to the show. I will give them more. Like a couple of guys came down from Michigan. They cut me a deal. And then at the end of the show, I realized, Hey, I made you know, X amount more than I thought I was going to make. So I was like, you know what? 
this here's an extra 50 bucks in gas guys because i know you have to go all the way here on your left hand let me help you get there. yeah i know you have to go all the way up to the index finger tip back in michigan so here's another 50 because i know what gas is right now it's 368 this was like a few months ago so you know it was 368 at the time yeah so i probably shouldn't always do that um or I'll make an exception. Like I had a buddy who came in from like, he had like a 10 hour drive each way last time and he got a hotel. Well, yeah, I was trying to cover all his trans and give him something. His trans cost a ridiculous amount of money. So I'm like, you know what, man? Hey, I can't do this often. I'll take care of you. Like I'm going to make probably a good, a decent, not a ton of money, but I'm probably gonna make enough where I can cover all your trans and then anything else you just have to do on your own. So, but that's not common, but because I take good care of, the boys, the guys want to work for me because they trust me, right? Same thing if people get stiff by someone, the word spreads around. But for some reason, people still agree to work for those guys. Can't imagine why you didn't book Hino, cover his trance. You're all flush with cash. $1,200. $1,200 to fly someone in, which I would think of doing. Honestly, like Hino maybe, because I love Hino. Put him up on your couch. I would want to make sure, though, that I'm getting like three or four shows out of him. I need to make a little bit more money. Is he going to be a draw here? And that's no disrespect to Hino. Not realistically, not really. You know, he, if they put him on the advertisements and flyers for certain shows and push it the right way, he'd be a really cool special occasion thing to have. And people will get behind it. They might not come to the show only for it though. So you'd have to get, I want to get a handful of companies all in on it together to say, hey, let's go ahead and foot this bill and spend a few bucks. We might not need to spend. So you're going to bring Billy in and have him kind of help coordinate it, offset some of that cost? That would be fantastic. Help if you wanted, promote his album too. If he wanted to help me out, you know. He know will look great in an NBA ring, beating the crap out of a bunch of dudes who can't even lace his boots. How about a Godzilla match? Just drop Hino in the middle. And Hornswoggle and his boys can just try and take him out. That would be hilarious. I would love to see Hino chop Hornswoggle. Hino's hand is the size of Hornswoggle. That's why his chops hurt so bad. They're the exact size of Hornswoggle toe to nose. I would pay to see that match. Palm to middle finger is the same as toes to nose on Hornswoggle. Hino in the center of the ring. Don't even need him to dress up like a dinosaur. Just chopping the shit. Got all the yep. midgets as they rush Boom. him. Someone should stand a midget on the top rope and then he just chops them. They go flying into the crowd and the crowd has to catch them. There you go. Hey, there's a souvenir to take home with you. Yeah, take it. I hope they catch them upside down. Like the gorilla midget video that I just showed you. If anyone's listening and they haven't seen the Mexican wrestler that's a midget that's dressed like a gorilla get kicked off the ring, you have to look it up. Type in midget gorilla wrestler. That's all you need to type in on YouTube. It's the best 45 seconds of your life. I think physics professors, you might want to show it in class. It'd be a good discussion point. It's pretty impressive. This little guy is sitting on the ring apron. He gets kicked in the tailbone from a dude doing a drop kick. He flies off the ring. He backflips like a shooting star press or a gainer and then smashes into another guy on the floor. It's impressive. It almost looked like a headbutt. Yeah, it did. Finished. It looked like a headbutt. It, poor little guy. And I don't even love little people. Like, and I feel bad for him. He got airtime, both literally and figuratively. Not what he signed up for. Maybe that's his and gimmick. Maybe it wasn't what he signed up for. I don't know. The jackass guys signed up for weird stuff. Chopsticks in the forehead, he didn't have to take. Just a little kick to the rear. Yeah, I don't know which is better. 
spinal damage or forehead damage. I wonder because you're there's not much resistance. Like he went airborne. Maybe the impact was less because there was no real abrupt stop. That's true. He hit another human being and kind of bounced. So I don't know. Are they less dense or more dense? <laughs> when do they reach terminal velocity? I don't know. Yeah, like, I mean, as far as bone structure, when they're shrank down, it might be more yeah. dense. Are they unbreakable? There's one of a couple ways to figure this out. Call Hornswoggle. Unbreakable little people. That's an episode title. Uh, one of our new listeners, a good friend of mine, uh, actually messaged me the other day and was like, hey, do you actually have an issue with Hornswoggle? He's always been really cool to me. And I'm like, I don't doubt that he's been cool to somebody in his life, but it wasn't me. It wasn't anyone in the locker rooms I've been in with. Yeah, but he's probably been cool to other people. Yeah. You and the rest of the people he worked with at the circus. I'm sure he's a nice enough guy. Now on the William Regal's podcast, he told a story about uh, looking out into the crowd and he saw what he thought was a little person. And he looked and he said, ah, there must be a circus in town. <laughs> and then a minute later, he realized the person was in a wheelchair. Oh, no. And he was like, oh, no. I'm, I wonder <laughs> if I'm going to get in trouble or lose my job for this. But he didn't. It was fine. Thank God for that. But yeah, just real offhanded. Oh, there must be a circus in town. I got a story that I got to tell off air. Not about a wheelchair. Similar. Okay, perfect. Well, we're off, we're off this anyway. So people follow at, at Off the Cliff Pod, at Multimedia Hustle, at Jake on 2012. Also, if you get it up, jakeafterdark.com, that would be great. We're live on that. And we have some pretty awesome stories coming up for you in the next few weeks here, including one that in theory we would have posted last week, but we couldn't due to restrictions, and it'll be up soon. It'll be so rad. So rad.